Hello and welcome to the Epics Podcast. This is episode six. I am Alex Way, and today I am bringing you my conversation with Travis Creasy. Travis is a fellow podcaster, a husband, a father, a deeply caring person, and a man who simply loves life. That's what we have in common, at least I would like to think. Where Travis and I are different is that he was born and raised and lives in the South, has a funnier accent than I do, and had a rare aggressive form of leukemia. Travis was diagnosed in the fall of 2008 when he had a white blood cell count 10 times the healthy amount. He then had to spend weeks in the hospital where he had to undergo 86 rounds of crippling treatment. While he considers himself lucky to be alive, Travis does not take his life for granted. Travis describes himself as a Tigger because of his bubbly personality, but I think he's more like Tigger because he's the only one like him. While there may be so many things that are different about us, such as the complete lack of significance that Crimson Tide football has in my life, I was still able to learn a lot from Travis. This is the heart of the Epics Podcast. I believe that those who may be so different from us in so many ways still have a lot to teach us. And when they are vulnerable and share their stories with us, we need to listen. Hearing Travis's story was inspiring, but he's not content to just inspire others. He wants to encourage all of us to be an encouragement and inspiration to all of those around us. So let's get started. Well, Travis, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here with you and uh, look forward to it. I've listened to a couple of episodes, listened to your trailer. I'm really excited about uh, what you're trying to bring to the table here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Uh, would you be able to describe yourself, what you look like, and you know, certainly the environment that you're in? Because most people can't see you on the podcast. There you go. Well, I'm sitting in my basement, and I'm surrounded by lots of sports memorabilia, <laughs> mainly Alabama Crimson Tide. So you probably could tell from the accent uh, that I'm from the South, and I live in Tennessee, but I'm uh, in my basement where all my stuff gets put uh, out of the way of all my wife's stuff. So if it looks, if you see the video, it's like, man, he has got a lot of sports stuff. It's because it's all right here. Uh, I'm wearing a light blue shirt. It is my uh, Survivor's Day uh, cancer t-shirt from this year from Clearview Cancer Institute. Uh, I have a, a beard. I am dark headed. Sometimes it looks black. Sometimes it looks brown, except for the gray patches in my beard that my children have so willingly uh, given me over the last few years <laughs> my wife started to point out uh at my last haircut that i have some gray going on the side now so but i hide it with you know the hat and the headphones so there you, you go see, you maybe maybe i could put a hat on my face i don't know maybe we'll have we'll have to try that afterwards just to see <laughs> if that's a better look but i like i like the gray in there yeah well i thank you my wife does too she's uh, actually six years younger than me and she okay. says when i shave the beard i look younger than her at first she didn't like the beard now she's a fan so it'll be around right. well as long as you're keeping her happy right there you go you, you nailed it and is there anything else you would want our listeners to know about you well i am 40 years old i don't know that most people want people to know their age but i just turned 40 i'm excited to still be here on this planet uh excited to be here with you i uh just recently gave up coaching middle school and varsity football uh after 14 15 years of doing that i have as mentioned i've got a wonderful wife whitney I've got two kiddos that we adopted back in 2019. They're five and six, and they keep things interesting. I, I play bass guitar. I used to be in a heavy metal Christian band, believe it there or you not. Go. And we had a lot of fun rocking and rolling. I collect sports memorabilia. I'm a big Alabama Crimson Tide fan. I am on a podcast with my first cousin, who's nine months older than me. I can't let him forget that. And he is a licensed professional counselor, and I am not. So I get to be the guinea pig. Uh, I say a lot of dumb things, and he's like, well, that's not accurate, actually. <laughs> so I'm used to being wrong. I've been there. I'll be there again, I'm sure. What's your podcast called again? The Helping Healing Humor podcast with Ben and Travis. Uh, and it's very tempting to call it the Triple H podcast. Well, it's right where my mind uh, went to on it. Yeah, exactly. It's very tempting to call it that. So occasionally I'll do that. I may reference it as that here. So you'll know what I'm talking about. And I guess the reason I'm actually on here, and you may have been getting on this into this, but in 2018, I was diagnosed with APL which is a form of leukemia. It's actually the same kind that Chuck Pagano had. If you're familiar mm -hmm. with the NFL and the Indianapolis Colts, he was their head coach. He had to give up coaching for a while to go and battle uh, that same type of cancer. Yeah, and I think 
I might have to fact check this after the fact, but I think Chuck Pagano's from Boulder, just down the really? street from us here. Hmm. That could be entirely wrong, but <laughs> I wouldn't know. So there you go. That's in my mind, whether it's right or wrong. I'm not going to correct you because I don't know either. So <laughs> well, we're both used to being wrong, I guess. So yes, we, there's no one here to correct anyone. Awesome. Well, tell me a little bit about your your diagnosis. You know, you said that was in 2018, right? Yes, sir. How did you find out? So I, like I said, I was a I was a football coach, and I think the first little bit of information that I gathered. I I played four years of high school football and I never bruised. I never had a black bruise. You know, I'd get a little soft, a little yellow every once in a while. Uh, and one day after football practice, as I was coaching, I was in the field house and I pulled my shirt off to change my shirt. And there was this huge black bruise, like somebody had taken a black Sharpie marker to my hip, my right hip. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was just like, well, that's kind of, I must've got hit in practice, you know, cause occasionally I would get out there and kind of run some routes and do different things. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting older, so maybe that's what it was. Uh, and then, uh, you know, a couple of a week or so after that, I cut my shoulder on the bleachers. I was doing pee and, uh, went under the bleachers to get a ball and just ripped my right shoulder open and was very close to having to get stitches later that night i'm coaching a jv game and i realized that my shirt is just soaked in blood it had not healed up and so those were the kind of the first two things hours later yes couple couple hours later and i was not used to that i heal up pretty fast and then you know as a guy i'm thinking yeah you know i'm not gonna go see a doctor i mean come on i'm a guy right uh we don't go see those doctors because they could have bad news maybe so my wife and i went to nashville and it was just a weekend full of football. We're big football fans. Uh, we went to a Vandy, Florida game uh, in the cold rain. It's October. And, you know, I just couldn't get warm. It was just cold. And no, long, no matter how much I covered up or put layers on, I just couldn't get warm. And the next day we went to a Baltimore Ravens, Tennessee Titans game. And I went to the bathroom before we left. And there was blood in my urine. And at that point I thought, you know, that's kind of a shocker. So I called mm -hmm. my personal physician and he was like, Hey, you need to come in tomorrow as soon as you can get here and give us a sample. And so I went in. Did you go to the game first? Uh, well, we finished. It was at the end of the game. Oh, it was at the end of the game. Okay. Uh, of course. Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to, I mean, come on. Priorities here, man. Uh, you know, and so I went in that Monday morning and I gave another sample and I don't, I don't want to gross anybody out, but it was basically like cranberry juice. It was, mm. I mean, that much blood. Not the right uh, color. Yeah. The wrong color you want to see when you're going to the bathroom either way. And uh, he, he, I was going home and, and they had kind of said, they thought maybe, you know, when I got banged up at practice, I might've, you know, busted something in there. That was my thinking or cracked ribs, something had punctured, whatever. And before I could get back to work, he called me, my doctor, who was out of town, actually called me and said, hey, you need to get back up here. We need to run some more tests. And even the doctor that I saw was like, man, you look healthy. You look great. We're going to check your blood and then you'll be on your way. And everybody was happy, hunky dory. And I'm, I'm just a happy person. I'm probably kind of annoying. I'm like a tigger. You know, I'm just, hey, everything's good. We're a party. I don't know if you know the Enneagram. How can you not know? I mean, today, this day and age, if you're listening to podcasts, Enneagrams, I think, are pretty much everywhere. But I'm a seven, and so everything's a party. Everything's great. Uh, and so I'm sitting there, and the doctor comes back in, and the nurse came in, and their mood had completely changed. Mm. You know, I think the Bible says their, the countenance, their countenance fell. So, like, they're just sullen. You know, the news is not good, and I start shaking, and the nurse comes in and starts petting my back, you know, and I'm like, okay, these are not good signs. You know, that, you know, what, what nurse nurses typically don't come in and get hand, you know, and she's just petting me. And, uh, you know, he says, we're going to send you to a blood specialist tomorrow and me being gullible, you know, I'm thinking, Oh, okay. Well, no big deal. <laughs> well, right. he didn't call them an oncologist. So oh. I, I don't know if he did that uh, to save me some grief that evening or not. So that's kind of how I got to the point where I was referred to the Cancer Institute. I think he even referenced it as the 
fourth floor of the um, pregnancy building. So he didn't, I okay. mean, there was no drop of, hey, this could be cancer. No cancer hints anywhere. Until we pull into the parking lot and there in big words, uh, Clearview Cancer Institute. And it's like, oh, okay. So what does that feel like then? So you went from like, hey, I'm just gonna be on my way. I'm clearly healthy. I barely called to come in, you know, to the doctor's office in the first place. And then obviously they come in and they're acting all weird. They didn't really tell you what was going yeah. on. And then you pull up, it's like cancer. Like, okay, well, should someone have prepped me for this? Like, what's going through your mind? Once again, I, I kind of see things <laughs> as, you know, half full, I guess somebody might say that. I, I tend to think I'm more of a realist, but nonetheless, I was gullible about this, right? I, I, I never think the worst could possibly be the outcome. And so my balance for that is, is I really don't trust anybody either. I don't even trust myself, honestly. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things like I'm not going to, this is not reality, until someone says it, you know, you, you've got the, the warning signs. I mean, you've got some gut reactions to, you know, things aren't good. I remember being emotional that night. I remember sitting on the couch watching Aaron Rodgers on Monday night football torch, whoever he was playing, but being emotional, you know, being teary eyed and going, you know, I just don't know what's going on. Now, the amazing thing is I slept really well that night, mm. but, you know, you got that feeling. And I think my wife was kind of, more surprised even when we were in the office she's filling out paperwork and i mean if she came on she would tell you that it still didn't register until you know the guy in the white coat comes in and goes well i'm pretty sure that you've got leukemia we don't know what kind although we got a pretty good idea we're going to need to do, do a bone marrow biopsy and that's when my feelings kind of changed <laughs> because bone marrow biopsy i knew that that was painful right you know leukemia is down the line but now we're going to take this needle and you know go deep right and from all my medical expertise that i've gained by watching any sort of show on television uh, <laughs> about doctors and such they all portray the bone marrow sample to be not not fun yeah and and I, honestly i think it is made out to be worse than it was and it wasn't great okay. by any means right uh, they they kind of take take me down the hallway and what I've come to understand and maybe if there's nothing else anybody can get from this interview, ask for the good stuff. Okay, you've got to ask for the good stuff. If you don't ask for the feel good stuff, they're not gonna give you it uh, at least initially, right? So I, I had like five or six of these things, and by the end I was finally like, okay. I, I need the good stuff. I, I need the pain I need. medicine. I need the, Hey, I'm going to be happy the rest of the day. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. So there you go. There's Worth a bit it. of advice. And so they take me down. And so they lay me on my left side and they start going in and I can feel the doctor sweating. And he would tell me later that he's, that these, you know, utensils are not necessarily made for people in their thirties. It's usually people a little older. Okay. And so I can feel him like just putting the elbow grease in. And I, hopefully nobody out there is getting too queasy. You can let me know if I'm going too far. But yeah, I can remember just sitting there thinking uh, Romans 8, I believe it's 18, that the suffering of the present time is not worth comparing to the glory that would be. And so I'm just repetitively telling myself that, you know, and kind of amping myself up for this. Uh, I should have included in my intro that I grew up with a in a single parent home. Uh, my older brother had cerebral palsy, and so uh, he can't walk, can't talk. He's never going to do that. A couple of times, his life has been in danger. He's a tough guy, you know, and, and loves life, has a good time. You know, he's a tigger too, as much as he can be. Uh, and so it's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, my brother Bradley has been through much worse, so I can't like let him have the upper hand. I can't let Whitney go around telling, Hey, you know, your brother, he, he kind of, you know, so that's kind of going through my head too, just as a funny side note. But the problem was, is my white count was so high. I did not have enough coagulant to stop the bleeding. Okay. So I'm laying on the table and they're doing everything in their power. They, they ended up not even getting the sample they needed, which is sad when they tell you that when you get to the hospital, <laughs> Hey, we're gonna have to do this again. Uh, but they couldn't get me stopped bleeding. And so here I am. And, I, you know, time is still, but it's also moving quickly. 
And my wife would later remind, tell me that, you know, I was laying there for like 45 minutes when they finally said, okay, you're going to have to go to this other hospital down the road. And so they wrapped me in a sheet, a white sheet. And I'm bleeding. I'm talking, I mean, ruin my pants, my shoes, everything. And so I walked down, walk down, go down the elevator and stand in the lobby while, you know, my wife goes and gets the car and pulls around and, you know, somebody, a nurse walks by and says, are you okay? And by this point, there's a puddle, you know, in the floor and we get into the car and she starts driving me to the hospital. Well, then we have to start thinking about our foster kids that we have. We've got, they're the ones that we've adopted now, but uh, you know, this hospital was in Alabama they were uh, wards of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And so we got to make a decision. What are we going to do with these kids? Cause they can't come stay at the hospital because he had also informed me that I would be in the hospital for five weeks oh, Wow! going through this treatment. Uh, I was originally supposed to go home, but because they couldn't get me to stop bleeding, I immediately left there and went to the hospital and was there for five weeks going through treatment. And how old are the foster kids at this point? They are, let's see, that's three years ago. They're two and three, two, two and three. And th- so then you're saying they, they couldn't cross over to Alabama? Uh, only with, you know, we would have to get a weekend permission. So both of, of my parents and Whitney's live in Alabama. Mm-hmm. And so we would get special permission. We live close enough to the state line that you could get permission for the weekend or for a week, as long as they knew where they were. Uh, but, you know, we didn't have any immediate like, family in Tennessee that they could live with. And so at the time we thought, well, man, we're going to, what are we going to do? You know, we don't want to give them up. We don't want to, you know, cause them undue trauma by having to move again. Cause I think it's like every time a kid moves environments, it's like a six month setback in their development. And so, I mean, it's just that ride over seemed like forever and it was probably five minutes because uh, you're Googling, you know, mm-hmm. oh, let's Google this leukemia. By the way, don't do that. Don't ever Google <laughs> medical things. It's just dumb uh, because you're going to get the wide variety, you know, so they're going to put every person that's ever. You don't get the glass half full version. No, no. You're going to get every person that's ever had this and their result. You know, now the average person who gets the leukemia I had is like in their 60s. So you can imagine the mortality rate is not great. And so, but I didn't see that little tidbit. So I'm like crashing. And then we're talking about giving up these kids that we love so much. And how long have they been with you guys? April of 17. I believe it was Easter of 17. They came. So they've been with us for uh, a year and a half or a little longer, actually. And these are the children you've now adopted. Yes, sir. Yeah. So obviously, I'm, I would assume at this point, you guys have already had conversations about how long term you want to have these kids talking about going from fostering to adopting. And then you're put in this situation where you've at most gotten like a week pass to go into Alabama and you're already told it's five weeks. Yes. You know, at this point, we're still working. We're, want, we're working with the parents. We want the biological parents. You know, that's that's the the best situation you know, that you're told that's what you're, you're in foster care for is to work these kids back to their parents. But we had already decided, you know, if that wasn't a possibility, then we were more than willing to take these kids in and have them live with us. So the attachment was there for sure. And, you know, we were, you know, Whitney's mom was very vocal in don't give up yet. Don't give up. We can make this happen. We can work. If we have to come to Tennessee, we'll come to Tennessee. But yeah, those are all things you're running through your mind you know, you're not even really even thinking about what you've got to do. And it really becomes that one foot in front of the other. Dr. Kevin Elko says, be where your feet are, Mm. whatever, wherever you're at, that's the thing you have to do next. And so that focus of kind of right off the end of your nose uh, comes in handy in situations like that. And this is all with, in the back of your head, you've got these Googled mortality rates for leukemia yes. go, going yeah. through your mind, which I'm sure helps you make real sound decisions. Oh yeah. You know, we're, we're emotionally, you know, no emotions going whatsoever on these decisions. Uh, you know, and we finally pull into the hospital and I walk into admitting. You've done too much walking already in this story with the amount of bleeding you've done. Yes. Too much already. And I'm, I'm sitting in there and admitting and there's people going by, well, you know, it's like home alone when you, when he's in the hotel and everybody's going by and I'm like, ma'am, I, I'm really going to make a mess in your floor <laughs> if I don't see any somebody. Uh, so they get me to the office 
somebody's hunting and pecking, they're training somebody. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't want to be mean and I don't want to be uh, irate. So I just want you to know I'm bleeding pretty profusely. And, you know, the girl sits up and looks over the desk and she's like, oh, yeah. Oh. And so finally they get me in a wheelchair and wheel me up to the seventh floor. Finally, okay. My home for the next five weeks. Oh. What's startling to me about all of this is how fast it happens. It goes from, I guess I'll call my doctor after a football game to five weeks in the hospital. And what is that, like less than 48 hours? This was Tuesday night. I called him first on Monday or Sunday night. Monday, I got all the tests there in my hometown with my personal physician. And then Tuesday afternoon, uh, I was at the Cancer Institute. That's, I mean, that's blowing my mind right now, how fast that happens. So to be able to process that, especially when you weren't even told it could be cancer until you got to the cancer facility. I mean, there must be so many things going through your guys' mind. I mean, not to mention like your wife and how she must be freaking out because no one wants to hear that their spouse has cancer. Yes. And, and, you know, the thing is, is like, they very wisely kept some things from me, <laughs> you know, I didn't, and a lot of it's because I'm gullible. I'll just throw that out there. Uh, you know, I'm a tigger, best, you know, uh, and, and I didn't want to know. There were some questions I didn't ask. I didn't want to, you know, let's just, like I said, let's get through the next 24 hours and then we'll talk then. You know, it was kind of really that deal, you know, because five weeks in the hospital, that's kind of what you've got. You're not going to make it if you're dwelling on, hey, it's not even Halloween yet. I'm going to wheel out of here the day before Thanksgiving. You know, it's like, you know, really, and, and that's the thing for me, that was what was kind of difficult for me until I got a couple of weeks in. And then it was, man, my kids are growing up and you know, they're going to, they're going to go out trick-or-treating and I'm going to be sitting here. Mm -hmm. And and really one of the hardest days in my entire life was October 31st, 2018. Cause it was just, man, it was about that, you know, we weren't even hardly started. Uh, I went in October 16th. And, you know, so just a couple of weeks in and it looked like it was forever away. You know, I was just feeling like trash because I, you know, they basically are obliterating my immune system. What mm -hmm. they do is they just start over. Uh, they take you down to, you know, infancy level immune system and then it builds back up and then they give medicine to basically teach your molecules not to kill you, uh, which is pretty amazing in itself and i just remember halloween being so hard i was so tired also another a little bit of advice do not slam insure do not drink insure fast uh, at that point i was so sick i didn't want to eat anything hmm. they were basically like eat whatever you can if it's only chocolate cake if all you can eat is chocolate cake eat chocolate cake and so they bring me this insure and i'm thinking man, I'm going to get all my protein and I'm going to get it out of the way. I'm just going to mm -hmm. crush it. So I take two strawberries and boom, boom. And buddy, I'm telling you the rest of the evening, I was miserable. Oh man. It, you do not drink insure fast. Like I think somebody should have been like, Hey, moron. <laughs> they should have written it on the box. Don't, don't drink this fast. You know, cause I went from an empty stomach to like a stomach full of protein and uh, those don't mix, but yeah, I mean, it's just a roller coaster. It's it's really a wild ride. So tell me a little bit about those five weeks and the kind of testing. Obviously, you touched on it a little bit, how they're taking your immune system back down to nothing. What is that process like, and what does it feel like when you're going through it? It feels like a hard case of the flu. Like oh. you just are getting pounded. I mean, you're, it's all over. I still have bone pain today so like if i have a nightmare if i go to sleep here in a little while and have a nightmare and it doesn't even matter it doesn't have to do anything with cancer just anything i'll still wake up cold sweat bone pain throughout my body the body doesn't forget you know it, it keeps a record so i would say it's you know you're just as drained as you've ever been that was really hard for my wife because i am so energetic and bouncing around and always trying to break the ice and kind of you know, makes, make it funny, make it light. And there were just two and a half weeks there where I wasn't that guy and I couldn't be that guy. Uh, and that was something hard for her to see, but the treatment for it. Uh, so I took in the hospital, 
I took one medicine that they called the red devil. So that's always encouraging. You know, you yeah. think they could come up with a new nickname, but that sounds great. Give me that. Yeah. Adarubicin, which is so strong. Like the nurse would come in and she would shield up, you know, and of course this is pre COVID. So, you know, she's, she's looking like Darth Vader with this shield and they would come in and she'd have these ginormous thick gloves and I had a pick line in my arm, left arm, and she would just come in there and sit and slowly push that in, you know, and it had to be, you had to be particularly trained to do it because if you push too much, it's not a good thing. If you don't push enough, it's not a good thing. And so that's going directly into my heart uh, so that it can go throughout the rest of my body because you've got to kill all of your white count has to be killed. The, the things that fight any kind of infection. And my doctor was like, hey, your, your white count, your, your white blood cells, uh, there was one somewhere in there that decided it wanted to be an out-of-control frat boy, and he influenced the rest of them. Uh, and so I, I had 60,000 white count, which is about 10 times the amount you're supposed to have. Oh, geez. Okay. And so to some degree, my understanding of this, and I'm not a doctor, is that it, that it had begun to basically dissolve my inner organs it had started to attack i had a brain bleed on you know when i initially went in um that he felt was part of the this whole issue you know i it, and that's the thing with this cancer is it moves super fast it moves you know he said you probably had it a couple of months and it just because it's a molecular thing it's a blood thing it runs through your body super fast. So the Adarubicin, I did that like eight of those. And then I did the, um, that's the red devil. That's the red devil. Great. Okay. And then, yeah. And then my other one was arsenic trioxide. Well, we all know arsenic is great. Yes. It's organic. That's what they told me. That was, that's, that's how they encouraged me. Oh, it's organic. And I said, yeah. And so is snake venom, you know, it's, <laughs> that doesn't make me feel any better, but I had 86, treatments 86 three-hour treatments wow. of the arsenic trioxide in that five weeks that was actually i had 86 between october i think we started pretty much when i went in i'm not 100 percent sure on that but sometime in october to march of 2019 i went five days a week for three hours when i was in the hospital it was every day and so they just slowly backed down he basically said hey we're gonna you know i i never <laughs> It was all these questions, you know, that they couldn't believe. They're like, have you ever done any recreational drugs? No. You ever done any tobacco? No. Have you ever drank any alcohol? No. And they were like, I was a leprechaun, you know, <laughs> I was a unicorn. Like, really? You, you're not lying to us just because your wife's in the room and said, no, I've never done that. And they said, well, that's actually a good thing because we're about to hammer your liver. Like it's no, you know, we're, we're going to nuke your body. And so it's a good thing that your heart is so healthy, your liver is so healthy, healthy, because we're gonna we're gonna hit it as hard as we can, and we'll back off where we need to back off, and we'll hammer down where we need to hammer down. But six to eight months, you'll be cured of this thing. But he said for the next five weeks, it's gonna be touch and go. If it doesn't get you, the medicine might. And so they had to keep an eye on. A couple of times they took me off stuff because my liver was going crazy and my heart slowed down because you're pumping arsenic straight into it. Well, you can see how in a way it was almost fortunate that you were so young and healthy with this disease. Oh, yes. But how do you know how rare is it for someone your age to have this level of leukemia? You know, I'm not sure. I, I gave up looking at Google. Um, That's probably good. <laughs> which has helped me tremendously. I won't look it up until after. <laughs> I, I want to say it's pretty rare. You know, it's, it's a 90% cure rate. So I had that going for me. That's not what Google said. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, once we talked and put into all my different factors, he said, you know, it's, it's 90%. He said, now, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that would not have been the case. You would have probably been too far gone for us to do anything, which that's something to process, Yeah. which I'm still doing. You know, I, I don't know that I'll ever be completely over it, but, you know, there are things that come back to my memory today from three years ago that, you know, for the last three years I've blocked out or haven't remembered. You keep talking about your Tigger personality, which I love, by the way, I'm going to forever associate an Anagram 7 with Tigger from now on, <laughs> uh, which makes it so much better for me. You go into this, obviously you're this super happy person. You're clearly miserable now. Yes. 
yeah. no, have no fun. Don't smile ever. Yeah. But you're such a positive person going into this experience. And you're talking about two weeks in, you hit this really hard point where your kids are out trick-or-treating. And how hard did it get to do the one foot in front of the other? You know, because you're obviously naturally inclined to be so positive, but I can imagine that there's times where it's going to really suck. Yeah, it was hard. I, my team, my actually the team I was coaching, it was the first time I'd missed a game. You know, I missed the rest of the season. They played for a championship. I had to watch from home uh, or from not from home, from the hospital. You know, so the flip side for a ticker is when you start missing things. I'm always looking forward to the next big event. You know, I've been fired up about being with you for this interview. You know, and so once you start missing out on those events, that kind of works against you. And man, I'm missing, you know, there was a point where people couldn't come in. I mean, you know, my wife's standing at the door. I had 300 something visitors come see me. I mean, that helped tremendously. I'm getting cards and all this encouragement. I've got stuff all over the walls from my students and, you know, a big banner that says the impossible is nothing. And, you know, doctors and nurses are coming in going, man, I just love being in your room. It's so encouraging. It's so peaceful. You know, it's so awesome to see this outpouring of love, but you know, I'm still not, I'm not at school. I'm not with my kids. I'm, you know, my kids, I'm getting pictures of them trick-or-treating and, you know, I want to be there with them. And so it's that point where you hit that wall and you're like, this is never going to end and you deal with, I might not survive this, you know, this may, you know, even if I get out of the hospital and get home and catch something, the first weekend I was out was the Iron Bowl, Alabama, Auburn, you know, the big rivalry game, you know, and everybody's down in the living room watching, and I'm up in the room watching, because my kids got a fever, it was stuff like that, that kind of began to build up, of course, you know, you're just feeling rotten, you just don't want to do much of anything, Uh, you're tired of the same four walls. I called my dance partner. It was my little rolling cart with my IVs. We would go lap around the hallway. And I remember a funny story. I was, they took me downstairs for some kind of test and they roll me around the corner and I'm wearing, you know, the gown, which I think is a deterrent for you running away. You know, if I run away, I'm going to be out there and, you know, my backside's going to be seen. Right. But I'd reached that point. And I come around the corner and the little sliding doors open to fresh air and I could see oh, I can make a run for it. I can make a run for it. And then you realize it's November and it's going to be really cold and you're not going to get very far, you know, and then you got to face your wife who's going to jack you up. But, you know, it was, it was those things. And, and for me, the days being short, I don't know what it was when the sun went down, it was just so much heavier because people weren't visiting, you know, visiting hours were over, So I guess my encouragement, I know that it's hard with COVID and everything, but man, people think that cards and prayer and visitations don't work. Well, let me tell you, the small things, the details are such a huge thing that can get somebody through the next day, the next 24 hours. You know, we have such technology that we can shoot a text and encouraging thing, you know, you know, and if you're listening to this, do that like right now, just, you know, do something encouraging for somebody because it, it really got me through that wall that I hit where I really struggled with, you know, this may not work out. You know, if my numbers don't come back up, what does that mean? You know, and I wouldn't dare ask the doctor that question. So you go through these, you said 86 treatments over the course of a few months mm-hmm. of arsenic being pumped into your heart. Which I'm sure it always feels great. Yeah. Now it, it was diluted. So yeah. That's supposed to make me feel better somehow. It's skim arsenic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's skim. There you go. That's a good, good phrase. Organic skim arsenic. Yeah. At what point? So then you go home after the five weeks. At what point do you start to feel better? At what point do you start to gain your hope back? There were events that I got to do. And I keep going back to this. Yeah. I had bought Metallica tickets. They were coming to Nashville. And I bought them early and I spent a lot of money on them, just to be quite honest. And I was basically like, I'm going to that concert. Of course, Whitney's like, no, you're not. I said, I spent too much money on those tickets. I got to go. And so sure enough, I masked up. You know, I was I was the pre-COVID guy, you know, uh, masked up, gloves, jacket covering my entire body. I just sat there the whole time like this. And so it was kind of those things, but it was still, you know, still, you know, I, I was on medicine actually up until this year, just a few months ago, I was taking oral uh, medication 
uh, which messed with my body. And so I'm really just now getting to the point where I feel normal. I feel like, and even in my mindset, it was like that guy never existed. It's, it's really crazy how we cope in different ways. And once again, a, a positive, and I think your, your podcast is going to be seeing different ways of coping with difficulties in life. And that was my way. It may not be the same for everybody, uh, but, you know, it was really kind of getting back in the swing, going back to school, you know, taking my chances, you know, I was gloved up, masked up, you know, before all that was normal. And, uh, but I, I was glad I'd go to work that morning. I'd teach class and then I'd go back to Huntsville and do a three hour treatment, uh, you know, for five days of the week. And, uh, you know, it was also people. W- once I got out of the hospital, you would go to the Institute. And so there were people there who shared their stories and, you know, you'd go in there and go, you know, I've got it pretty bad, but so-and-so over here who has a smile on their face, I didn't have to go through um, radiation. Mm-hmm. That's not something I had to do, but I, you know, there were people who were, they would come in do their treatment and go to radiation. Now they weren't there five days a week, but you know, it really wasn't this game of who's got it worse. It was, Hey, we're going to ring the bell together. We're going to get there together. And so it was really neat to see all the different perspectives and different groups and get to know people. And it was interesting to see their fight. Yeah. Was there a story that stuck out to you that inspired you in that moment or that you think about now years later? Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I come in and there's a guy, he's a veteran who's sitting next to me. I think this was his second bout. He had actually lost a part of his tongue, unfortunately. And he had just come in. He was there once every two, three weeks. And he was one that would do radiation too. And we just struck up a a friendship. You know, he brought a big bag of beef jerky and candy. And, you know, first thing he asked, Hey, what's your favorite kind of candy is like Reese cups. He was like, well, I got a bunch of them. I can't even eat them. You can have them, you know? And so we, you know, he'd give me a hard time about being a preacher and, you know, we'd, we'd kid each other and I'd, you know, ask him, you know, about his time and service and family and all that good stuff. And, you know, the day that I rang the bell and was done with my IV treatments, he showed up in the parking lot as I was leaving and gave me a pound of Reese cup. Wow. I mean, it was like two pies, basically. Uh, we ate, went and ate wings at the local place. And, but that was pretty cool. You know, it was yeah. neat. You know, that was out of his way mm-hmm. to come and do that for me. So, you know, it's a big deal. And, and the nurses, man, they're just, once again, pre all this mess we've been through the last year and a half, they have been rock stars to me for a long time. So I think the difficult for me is I like encouraging them, you know, every once in a while. I, I, it's hard for me to go back to the seventh floor of mm-hmm. the hospital. I've been back once or twice and kind of took nurses goodies. It's a lot easier for me to go to the Institute and, and love on those people. But, you know, you got people, you, know, you got special people who poke your arm every time, you know, mm-hmm. special people who take your weight and check your heart. And, you know, you, you grow a bond to them. It's kind of interesting. Cause it's like, you really don't want to go back to that place, but right. you know, there were people who got you through. Yeah. And if you somehow view that as home for that period of time, it sounds like they almost become part of your family for that time, at least. Oh, yeah, they do. They take you in. They're your disciplinarian. Yeah, they're going to ask you, hey, what'd you drink today? Have you had enough water? I mean, it it gets personal, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it gets down to, have you gone to the bathroom? You know, what Mm -hmm. is, how's that going? And what color is it? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, You know, you get asked your name and birth date a thousand times to make sure that they've got your medicine right. Uh, which is an interesting story because at one point they had, in the hospital, they were giving me antibiotics as a way to fight off anything that I might catch because that was the number one thing. Like right. if you get sick, that's bad. And they had given me too much of one antibiotic. It was an enormous amount that they'd given me over time and I broke out in hives mm. and had a fever. Uh, and that would probably would have been around that two week mark too. Okay. Uh, so that was the other thing going against me. And the infectious disease doctor reminded me so much of the guy, the bad guy from Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights. Okay. Yeah. He had the accent and everything. And uh, I was always weary when he came around because like, he's going to find something. He's going to find some other test he's got to run. And my students had sent me a video and I was in there and I was just crying, oh, you know, things that us tickers hate to do. And he walks in and he's like, what's the matter? What's wrong? And I was like, nothing. 
nothing is wrong. Nothing at all. Do not poke me again. Do not give me another test. But, you know, that was one of those things. And then they accidentally gave me the antibiotic again. And I just remember that nurse coming in there and she was just brokenhearted. Like, Mr. Crazy, I'm so sorry. We gave you the wrong stuff again. I said, well, I haven't broken out in hives. So no harm, no foul. Let's just act like it didn't happen. Don't tell infectious disease guy. Yes, just don't tell him. We'll be good. <laughs> well, I was wondering, kind of as you were talking about some of your almost like re-entry experience coming out of the hospital and your health getting better, you know, going to the Metallica concert in a mask before anyone else is. Yes. I mean, while that might feel normal to a lot of us listening now, um, even though we're all kind of coming out of that period a bit, but I was wondering through this past year with COVID, has that brought up any of those feelings of or emotions of from when you went through all those tests and the original leukemia treatments? Yeah, I, I've tracked COVID since like November of 19 when it first started popping up. I watched it, you know, all the way through, saw the articles when it was just a blip on the radar screen here. And, you know, I was telling my, Whitney, I was like, it's coming. It's going to be here. It's going to be here. We got to be ready. From the get-go, I had a great doctor, and I'm I'm coachable, if nothing else. Tell me, as long as there's a plan, and you can give me this, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. To get over this, if I got to go in five weeks, I'll go in five weeks. I trust you. You have my trust. To get to go back to work, to get to go back to Metallica, to get to go back to somewhat normal life, I'll wear a coat up to my, sleeve, my wrists. I'll wear the blue gloves. I'll put the mask on. I'll keep my head covered. I'll do whatever. And so I don't know that I would have had that attitude for COVID like I did if that had not mm. happened. So I think in some ways that's made me a more compassionate person for sure. Mm. And it's made me a lot more coachable to get through all this. You know, I, I still got it. You know, I still had it back in October, uh, but, you know, I felt like I was prepared for it. You know, I was taking you know, these vitamins and things that boost your immune system. I was coaching, I was out in the sun, good vitamin D. And so it was one of those things where, yes, there was some anxiety attached to it, but it was also like, you know, I've had leukemia. So, <laughs> and really that's, that's where my trust in God comes, you know, it really is, you know, I knew I was going to leave that hospital one way or the other. And mm. either way, uh, I believe that God had, had me, you know, if I left under my, you know, in a wheelchair, like I did, through the spinning door to go home and love my kids. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, but if not, that would have been okay too. We, we would have got through it. My family would have got through it. And, you know, my wife probably would have married somebody a lot better and cooler anyway. So, well, I doubt that's true at all. I'm <laughs> sure she would say the same thing as long as you're standing right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being so vulnerable with your story and you know, sharing that with us. For those of us who haven't gone through that sort of experience, who don't think of these people who, you know, had this quick leukemia turnaround and all the grueling treatments that go along with that and how draining that could be, what would you hope that we understand better after hearing your story? I think that it can happen to anybody. You know, that doctor, hey, you're healthy. Everything checks out. That's good. We're just going to go check your blood. <laughs> I believe through the struggles in my early life with my brother and seeing my mom go through it with him, you know, it better prepared me to trust. And I think that that is something that is harder and harder as the world turns or the older we get is to not be cynical and to really focus on the task at hand. There's so many things that are going on. So many things we can get involved in. I'm open to that and much more sensitive than I used to be, right? I, I want to help and not hurt. The first goal is to help and, and then the healing and then the humor, if I can drop that podcast name again. But anyways, no, I, I think that that's it, is to slow down and pay attention. You know, everybody is hurting. They may be hurting less today than they were yesterday. They may hurt tomorrow more than they are now. Every, I just assume that everybody has something they're struggling with. Every teenager, every guest we have on our podcast, every guest you have, you, you know, there's something that they're hurting. And so a lot of my preaching, a lot of my teaching, a lot of my podcasting is me saying, hey, I ain't got all this figured out yet. <laughs> right. And I need your help. And, you know, if we, if we talk it out, I think that we come to the con conclusion that we all need a little help. 
you know, if you ever think about, you can't think of a way to serve and help, I guarantee you there's a cancer ward nearby where somebody needs a little bit of a nudge of encouragement. And I had it in droves. People have been patient and merciful and graceful with me and still love me despite all the reasons why they shouldn't. And so the very least I can do is return the favor when it crosses this old stubborn brain of mine. And you touched on this earlier, how how far those little encouragements can go for someone in your situation or someone in a situation like that, that it, it really got you through that day. And so for anyone, even if they have lots of support, if they don't have lots of support, you know, it seems so telling that 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 goes so far. And so that we shouldn't hold back in encouraging. Like you said, it's so easy now. We can text, social media, Zoom, whatever, you know, it's so easy to send that encouragement. And so I love that you're encouraging all of us to continue to encourage everyone else. I was there for five weeks and there were people, you know, there were people down the hall from me and no one ever darkened their door. You know, I don't know if they got letters. They probably did. But, you know, I just had people in and out. I mean, they were having to limit people coming in uh, at a time. And I know by walking that loop about a thousand times <laughs> that there were some doors, the lights were never on. There was never anybody in there. And unfortunately, COVID has limited that. You can't go to hospitals and visit, I'm sure. I can't imagine being in there as long as I was now. I mean, it's just so much energy I got from people who took time out of their day, even five minutes to make a phone call. If someone is listening to this who's had a similar experience to you or is going through a similar experience, whether it be leukemia, some other cancer, or some other health issue that's making them just feel exhausted and drained, what do you want them to take away from your story? I have changed my mind on this for sure. If you need Christmas lights up till July the 2nd to get through another day, do it. This whole past year and a half, if you need, if it's something like that and it's not hurting anybody, do what you have to do. I'd go do my treatment. I read an Abraham Lincoln book that was about, the, I think, like 900 pages. I loved it. It was awesome. That's not for everybody. You know, that sounds like torture to somebody out there right now. I played a lot of Spider-Man video game. You know, like they told me, hey, if you can't eat anything but chocolate cake, eat that chocolate cake. Do what you have to do to get through another 24 hours because the world has a spot for you. You know, you're here, I believe, for a reason. And there's somebody out there that, you know, you can impact their life for good. And, you know, just think if you're in a terrible situation and yet you're soldiering on, people can't help but look at that and go, and if they can do it, I can do it. So I think that's the major thing that, you know, whatever's going to get you through the next 24 hours, do it and surround yourself with people who have empathy, mm. who, who want to, and they'll never, no one will ever have the same situation I have. I don't have the same situation as someone else, but someone who's trying to understand and be there for you, try your best not to push them away as much as it, sometimes it i had to tell people my bandmates came and visit me hey guys y'all are welcome to stay in this room as long as you can i cannot keep my eyes open another minute mm -hmm. and and so that's the other thing be honest where are you don't i i learned you can't just soldier on by yourself you got to be honest hey i'm too tired for you guys to be here sorry i gotta go to sleep you guys can hang out talk enjoy you ain't got to go home, but I got to go to sleep. Um, mm -hmm. So there's that, that level of honesty, too, that we can be with people. And guess what? You can always play the cancer card. <laughs> I have on many occasions. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for, for spending your time with me and, again, for being vulnerable with your story. And I hope that, you know, someone who's hearing this receives that encouragement from you and is able to soldier through what they're going through so they can be an encouragement to someone else as well. If people want to hear more from you, tell us a little bit more about your guys' podcast, the Triple H podcast. The Triple H podcast. It's time to play the game. Oh, wait, that might be copyrighted. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, the best way to get it is www.benandtravis.com. That's three W's. For some reason, I always leave out a W. www.benandtravis.com. Ben and Travis.com. You can get the podcast. We've got the free ebook, 28 Days of Focused Living. 
Uh, we actually send a meal plan out with that and we give you all kinds of stuff. Actually, probably the coolest thing, especially in connection with our discussion, you get some breathing tips that I used when I was taking my treatments, some mindful uh, tips, how to be mindful, to be present, to be where your feet are and not get so far away into the future, you know, to take that day, you know, next 15 minutes, really, that's what I broke my days down into 15 minutes, the next 15 minutes. And so that's the easiest place to find it. You can go to the top, it says podcast in really big letters. uh, And you can listen there. But we have, um, you know, we have people who've gone through stuff. And some things too. you know, this week, we had somebody uh, on talking about being single, waiting for the right person in a right now world. And we just try to be practical, you know, give you some tips that you can do every day uh, that once again, gets you through the next 24 hours. But man, I appreciate you letting me come on and talk your ear off. I probably gave you too much. It was great talking to you. I love sharing the story. I love your focus on perspective and bringing people to the table to discuss and give their stories. It's therapeutic. Well, thank you so much, Travis. I appreciate that. I haven't checked out your podcast yet, but I definitely am going to. And for anyone listening who wants to find it, benandtravis.com, I will link it anywhere below wherever you're listening. And you can hear more from Travis there. Thank you again, Travis, for, for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Epics Podcast. Again, if you want to hear more from Travis, check out his podcast. Go to benandtravis.com. That's www.benandtravis.com. If you're interested in more of my thoughts on this conversation, as well as all the other conversations that I've had here on the podcast with so many amazing people, check out my Patreon. That's a place where you get a bonus podcast for supporting the show. Costs as little as $5 a month, and you not only get to help me in my dream of making this podcast a reality for my everyday life, but you get the extra content, hear more about what I think after each of these interviews, what I have learned, and most importantly, you get to see some of the bloopers from each episode. Now, don't worry, I will let you have a month of free Patreon content for free. Just head over to my website, epicspodcast.com, and click the banner at the top, where you can get access to a month of free bonus content. Thank you so much for listening and supporting with your ears. Have a great day. See you next week. Thanks for listening.